Now, I'm going to show you the will of God for your life. Wouldn't you like to know that? You say, oh, man, I, you know, I'm wondering about that car. Should I buy it? I'm wondering about that gal. Should I marry her? I'm wondering about that house and that job. Yes, tell me the will of God for your life. Well, I'm not going to tell you any of those things. I don't know what the will of God is for your life in those areas. But I do know without stutter or stammer that what I'm about to show you is the will of God for your life. You ready? In 1 Thessalonians 5 and in verse number 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is God's will for every one of us to be thankful. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. As you're turning, I think most of us here are familiar with the, uh, the story of the pilgrims coming, coming here in 1620 and landing at Plymouth Rock, and maybe some of you like me have even been there. But there's more to that story than most people really understand, and it goes back to about 12 years earlier to around 1608 when a uh, British expedition uh, led by Captain Hunt landed there in what is Plymouth, Massachusetts today. And the friendly Indians came out to trade with them, but instead they captured them and they took them back as slaves to Europe. And one of the captives was a young boy by the name of Squanto. And Squanto came into the home of a, of a man by the name of John Slaney. And John Slaney taught him the English language and also the Christian religion. Squanto was obviously homesick and wanted to go back to his people and Slaney had pity on him and promised to send him back on the first boat that would go back to the Americas which finally came along in uh, 1620 and of course you can imagine uh, he had only been there a short time when these English people landed there at Plymouth Rock on the Mayflower and weren't they surprised when this Indian came out speaking perfect English to them well Squanto had lost his entire village while he was gone it had been wiped out in an epidemic and he was wondering why God would allow this into his life and he went to live with the the uh, English people from that time on he taught them how to plant corn, uh, where to fish for fish, and many, many other things. And it was, it was the governor, William Bradford, who actually said, if it had not been for that one man, that one young man, Squanto, we probably would not have made it. And he also added that God in his sovereignty orchestrated all of that. Now, we often forget that, don't we? Things come into our lives and unpleasant things quite often, and we forget that there is a, a God who is sovereign and that he is orchestrating these things. Job says he, he doeth the thing appointed for us. And so as a result, we forget to be thankful for what God does for us. Good or bad, we often don't thank him. Well, here in Colossians chapter 3, we find a wonderful passage that deals with that very subject. And we're going to start in verse 12. It tells us, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and 
Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. And notice these last three words. Be ye thankful. We're going to be talking about that today as we speak of remembering to be thankful. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we love you and we thank you for all your goodness to us. We thank you for the trials, the setbacks, as well as the blessings, the assets, as well as the liabilities, the pros, as well as the cons. Father, we just pray now that you'd help us to take a look at this most important subject of gratitude. Help us to be honest with ourselves and examine ourselves and see if there's not room for improvement in this area. We pray now and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was Ben Franklin who said, contentment makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. Can we follow that? You know, you can have a lot of money, but if you're discontented, you're a poor man. You can be a poor man or woman, but if you're contented with life, you are rich. It reminds me of a story of a man by the name of Ali Hafid. Ali Hafid was uh, an Indian. He lived in India, actually, many years ago, and he was a wealthy farmer. He had orchards, he had gardens, he had uh, fertile farm fields, he had creeks that ran through his property there, and it was very, very good property and large property, and he was a very well-to-do uh, farmer, and he was a very contented man, until one day a friend from the east paid a visit to him, and said, we have found diamonds out east, and diamonds are where it's at. I am filthy rich now from the discovery of diamonds. And that night, Ali Hafid went to bed a poor man, because he was discontented now. He was coveting more than what he had, and it so ate at him that finally he sold off his land, and he went to the east seeking diamonds, and he found none. He traveled and he traveled and he traveled, spending up his fortune, finding no diamonds, and finally dying in poverty and in sorrow. Well, the fellow who bought his, his uh, farm there, one day he was leading his camel to uh, drink out of the creek there when he noticed a, a flash of light there in the sand. He thought that odd and he reached down and he dug in, in a little bit and he pulled out a diamond that sparkled with every color of the rainbow in it. And long story short, short he had found the, the Golconda mines, which today are one of the largest diamond mines in the world, in fact, in history. And you find the irony of this situation, a man who had all that there, Ali Hafed, but he got discontented and he lost everything. I think that discontentment has destroyed many a man's life. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6.6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. That's a pretty short list, isn't it? But God tells us, having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And isn't that what so many people are after today? Great gain when God gives us the ingredients right here. Godliness and contentment. Someone so well said that contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. Isn't that the truth? Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want. You won't be content if you get it, I promise you that. But it's the realization of how much you already have. There's a fellow in the Bible back in the Old Testament by the name of Job who had everything. I mean, he was the richest man in the East. He had it all, but he lost it all. In a whirlwind, in a short time, he lost his employees. He lost his livestock. He lost his health. He lost the loyalty of his wife. 
And yet he had this kind of an attitude. He said in Job 121, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What an attitude to have. Now, I think that Americans perhaps have more than the rest of the world has on the average. And yet they have proven through studies that there are not a a more discontented people anywhere on the planet than those of us who live in this country here. In fact, Time Life magazine did a, an experiment years ago where they, they asked people of various countries, took the average household in that country, and told them, bring out everything from your house and put it on your front lawn. You can see where they're heading with this. And then they took a picture of the stuff out on their front lawn in various countries, Brazil, Colombia, France, Spain, so on and so forth, Africa. Well, by far, Americans had the most stuff out on their lawn. And you can still look at the pictures. But that doesn't make us content by any means. I think perhaps we complain the most of any nation. And yet the Bible says that there be no complaining in our streets. Did you know that expression is in the Bible? That word is in the Bible? Psalm 144 verse 14 says that there be no complaining in our streets. If you had a child and it was their birthday and you'd gone the extra mile providing for them very nice gifts and they opened them one at a time with a scowl on their face complaining about each one one at a time, would you feel like blessing them with more things? I don't think so. Would you feel like bestowing upon them further gifts? No. And in the same way, I think as God's children, why should he give us more when we're not content with what we have. I believe when we are, and I believe when we're appreciative, that's when God can bless us more. Now, in our text here of Colossians 3, verse 12 talks about putting on some things as Christians, the elect of God. And it mentions uh, holy and beloved bowels, or a heart, if you will, of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. That's quite a list, isn't it? And then it speaks of yielding to one another, or forbearing, forgiving one another, as Christ forgave us. Verse 14 mentions putting on uh, charity or love. And then verse 15, our text says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And I think that will follow if we're doing these things. It says, to the which also you're called in one body. And then the last part, as frosting on the cake here, if you will, says, and be ye thankful. God help us to be thankful. As we talk about that subject today, We're going to speak of three things here. And the first is what I call the saint's realization. The saint's realization. You're close here. Just turn forward a few pages to 1 Thessalonians 5, if you would. And I'm going to show you the will of God for your life. Wouldn't you like to know that? You say, oh man, I, you know, I'm wondering about that car. Should I buy it? I'm wondering about that gal. Should I marry her? I'm wondering about that house and that job. Yes, tell me the will of God for your life. Well, I'm not going to tell you any of those things. I don't know what the will of God is for your life in those areas. But I do know without stutter or stammer that what I'm about to show you is the will of God for your life. You ready? In 1 Thessalonians 5 and in verse number 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It is God's will for every one of us to be thankful, to be thankful. You know, shortly after World War II had ended years ago, I think it was the early 50s, 
there was this church like ours and it was trying to raise some funds to uh, build a new sanctuary and the pastor kind of gave the appeal for it and, and asked that some families would step up and, and give and give to this project here. Well, there was a family that had lost a son in World War II and the husband and the wife were heartbroken still over it and devastated and, and decided to give a, a large amount in, as a memorial for that son that they had lost. Well, another couple in the church heard about it They hadn't lost a son in the war. Their son had come home. But they thought, if this couple over here can do that, how much more grateful should we be that our son did come home and they gave an even larger amount? You know, here's something. It's often been said that thankfulness is thankfulness. So simple, but it's so true. Thankfulness often equals thankfulness. It makes us grateful for what we have and also generous if we realize how good God's been to us. You know, the Bible says in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Everything comes from God. Everything we have and grateful people are grateful and cheerful and generous as a result of, of understanding that. You know, the Bible says in Second. Corinthians 9, 7, that every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Somebody who is grateful and somebody who understands that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above will be a cheerful giver. It won't be like pulling hen's teeth for them to give if we would take the time to reflect that everything comes from God. We read this in Acts 17, 25. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. He does. He does. Now, often what goes unnoticed goes unthanked. And, and oftentimes, it's just a lack of us being observant, a, a lack of us catching things. I mean, the daily use of our fingers. Can you imagine that? The, the mobility of our muscles, the, uh, the ability for the eye to wink and clear away the impurities there, you know, the sense of hearing, if you will, all these little things, your knees, boy, they come in handy going down steps, don't they? You ever try that without uh, bending your knees? Or how about your elbows? I tell you, those things come in handy when it comes time to eat. Just try feeding yourself without bending your elbow. And, and so many things that we take for granted, but there they are. You know, I read this this last week. It says, even though I clutch my blankets and groan when the alarm rings each morning, thank you, Lord, that I can hear. There are those who are deaf. Even though I keep my eyes tightly closed against the morning light as long as possible, thank you, Lord, that I can see. There are many who are blind. Even though I huddle in my bed and put off the effort of rising, thank you, Lord, that I have strength to rise. There are many who are bedfast. Even though the first hour of the day is hectic, when socks are lost, toast is burned, tempers are short, thank you, Lord, for my family. There are many who are lonely. Even though our table never looks like the pictures in the magazines and our menu is at times unbalanced, thank you, Lord, for the food we have. There are many who are hungry. Even though the routine of my job is often monotonous, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to work. There are many who have no work. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life. Bible says in Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us 
with benefits. When is the last time you spent some one-on-one time with God thanking Him for these things? Think of the things that you, you would be devastated if you lost. I mean devastated. I've been out on the West Coast and, and actually uh, visited the grave of, of uh, Jimmy Stewart years ago. He played George Bailey in, in my favorite movie. And by the way, on, on his tombstone, it, his, his epitaph reads, It was a wonderful life. I love that picture. And, and George Bailey in the picture gets an attitude. He, he chews out his kids. He balls out the teacher. He's just mad at the world. And he gets this attitude until he gets the opportunity to see what it would have been if he'd have never lived. And he was never the same. Boy, after that, what an appreciation he had for life. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Can we remember that? Stories told of a wealthy farmer who, uh, or a wealthy man in the city, I should say, this, this wealthy individual who had this son, and he wanted to kind of show off to the son how much they really had. So he decided to take him on a field trip out in the country to this uh, farm where there was this poor farmer out there and his kids. And, and so they spent the day with that farm family to see how, quote, poor people live. And at the end of the day, the rich man is, is driving back to town with his son. And, and he said, well, son, what did you learn today? And the son said, well, I learned this. We have one dog, and that family has four dogs. And... They have uh, this creek that they swim in, and we have this little pool that we swim in. And we have electricity in our house and lanterns, but, but they have stars at night to see by. And, and we have this, this patio out front, but they have this, this yard that's, that goes out into uh, miles and miles of horizon there. And we have a city lot, but they have acres of land. And we have servants, but they serve each other. We buy our food, they get to grow theirs. We have walls to protect us, they don't. They take care of each other out there. Well, he got done and the dad was speechless and the little boy looked up at him and he said, thanks dad for showing me how poor we are. You know, it's really perspective, isn't it? It really is perspective. And there's a plethora of examples that we could talk about here, but we see, first of all, the saint's realization. Secondly, we see scriptural reminders. In fact, you're close to 2 Timothy 3. Just go forward a few pages there. And we find here a passage that deals with the last days, the signs of the times that we can look for that will be prevalent as we uh, approach the second coming of Christ. It's a really nasty list here. It's kind of something that ought to be on the, the wall of shame here, these things. And we pick it up in verse number 1 of 2 Timothy 3. It says, This know also... That in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and notice the next one, unthankful, unthankful. It goes on, but it's, it's, it's no better. We find here that amongst these ugly things are mentioned this business of being unthankful. You know, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks about the fall of, of any civilization. If you're, if you're a student of history like I am, you watch uh, how societies have fallen in the past and cultures have fallen in the past, and, and you realize the last rung down, rung down on the ladder uh, mentioned in, in the Bible and in any civilization is that of sodomy. But if you look at the other end of the ladder and you see where it actually started, you find it starts with unthankfulness. In Romans one twenty one, it says, 
because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, and that's where the thing spiraled down. But notice where it started here. Neither were they thankful. You know, our human inclination is not to be thankful. And in in Luke chapter 17, we find the Lord Jesus Christ heals 10 lepers. Guess how many come back to thank him? One. And in verse 17, Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where were the nine? And how come they didn't come back and thank? You know, there's a number of examples in the Bible of ingratitude. I think of Joseph interpreting the dream of the butler, giving him hope when he's in the dungeon, and having one request, when you get out of here, tell them about me, remember me. The butler didn't. We find other examples like a a boy by the name of Joash, who actually uh, would have been killed had it not been for the protection of his elders. And he had a special mentor, a a priest by the name of Jehoiada, that that, uh, got rid of the wicked queen and brought this boy to the throne. But later on, after his mentor was dead, we find that Joash kills the son of his mentor. And and, uh, we find that it's a slippery road down. When we're not thankful, we won't recognize ourselves in time. You know, God knows that it's our tendency not to be grateful, not to remember to thank God. And he puts a number of memorials actually in the Bible where we find these feasts like Passover being held and uh, Pentecost being held and the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, the Feast of Tabernacles, they, they actually would build these booths or these little stick uh, houses. They would put them on their rooftops. They would build lean-tos against their houses there. And it sounds so silly, but they would live in them as a reminder of, of what God had brought them out of. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we find them holding this feast day after they'd forgotten to do it for so long, decades, because God's trying to remind them what he has done for them. And it's been said that true personal revival is often accompanied by an attitude of gratitude of what he has done for us. We had a preacher through years ago, he's with the Lord today, But he taught us something very helpful about keeping what he called a stroke file. And by that he meant writing down things daily that you are thankful to God for. Things he has done for you. uh, Things that he has given you. The blessings. And, and, And amidst our busy schedules, taking the time to acknowledge God's goodness, lest our hearts shrink and shrivel. Lest we get this uh, spirit of entitlement, I call it. Spirit of entitlement, what a, what a deadly thing that is, what a scourge and a blight it is to have a spirit of entitlement, that I'm entitled to this, I have this coming, this, this welfare mentality of give me, give me, give me, give me, and I've seen where that leads. In, in Luke chapter 15, we have a prodigal son mentioned by Jesus Christ, his dad has earned all this wealth and and worked hard on this farm for all these years, when the son shows up one day, and in verse 11, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth me. Give me. Notice that spirit of entitlement. Give me this. You know, when we haven't paid a price for something, we can get a spirit of entitlement. We find over in Acts chapter 8, 
that the gospel is getting out to the world at that time, and, and it's, it's coming to uh, Samaria in that region. And here's the disciples. They've walked with Christ for these many years. They've watched him bleed and die on the cross. Now they're being persecuted. One of them has been stoned to death in the previous chapter. But there's a fellow by the name of Simon Sorcerer who sees the power of God on these disciples and says, Give me this power. I call it the Simon the Sorcerer Syndrome. And any one of us can get that to where if we have not earned it, if we've not paid the price, we can get that mentality. May I say on that note, and even caution the folks here, that weren't here when the heavy lifting was being done, you're going to have to be careful. You're going to have to be careful. Don't, don't acquire a swagger. You're, you're really enjoying blessings that you did not pay the price for in many ways. I was teaching the Bible college students here a few weeks ago and uh, trying to get this point across to them. You know, we have very inexpensive tuition here and beautiful facilities and all those things. And I said, you guys are sitting under trees and enjoying the shade of trees that you never planted. And it took them a while to connect the dots there. But it's so true. Somebody has gone before and paid that price And I want you to just be careful if you've come on board later to appreciate that. You know, when the Jews went and then they conquered the promised land, all of a sudden they're living in houses they didn't build. They're drinking from wells they never dug. They're they're pulling fruit off of trees they never planted there. And that was scary, and God understood that. And he gave them this warning in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt... Bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given me. You know, there's a great danger in being handed something. And we have to be cautious of that. And, and not paying the price for it. When I was uh, a kid, in fact, I think from the time I was eight years of age, I had, a, I had a summer job. And outside of food and clothing and shelter, Dad had us pay for everything. All of us boys worked. And if we want something beyond the basics... We worked for it, and we always had to work for it. But, but we had a, a neighbor friend, and his dad gave him everything. Now, the stuff we bought and we paid for, we took care of. You can be sure of that. The neighbor kid had all this stuff given to him, and he just beat it. He just trashed it. And I learned something even at a young age. There's a danger of being handed something and given something of being less thankful for that. God help us to be grateful. And by the way... If you have been saved, somebody paid an incredible price for your salvation. May we never get over it. We weren't there at the time. We didn't see it. But we know what God's word has to say about it. And we read in Colossians 1.12 of giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. In other words, this salvation that other saints have, this heaven that other saints are in right now. And we ought to give thanks to God who's made us partakers of that. Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you had a time in your life when you realized you could not work your way to heaven? Your baptism would not wash your sin away or make you a child of God. You could join a church. You could take communion. You could do a lot of things. But the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. I thank God that over 37 years ago, somebody showed me from the Bible that I could know for sure I'm going to heaven when I die, that I could have a salvation that would change my life. 
and one that I would never lose because of what Christ had done for me on Calvary's cross 2,000 years earlier. You know, the Bible says this, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. And really, it's beyond words, isn't it, folks? Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. And if you have been saved, let me just say that after salvation, the Bible speaks of being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. You know, even in the midst of setbacks, folks, we ought to be a grateful people. Be thankful that you don't already have everything you desire. If you did, what would there be to look forward to? Be thankful when you don't know everything, for it gives you the opportunity to learn. Be thankful for the difficult times. It's during those times that you grow. Be thankful for your limitations, because they give you opportunities for improvement. Be thankful for each new challenge, because it will build your strength and your character. Be thankful for your mistakes. They will teach you valuable lessons. Be thankful when you're tired and weary because it means you've made a difference. Be thankful. Be thankful. We've talked about the saints' realization and the scripture reminders. Finally, let's look at the Savior's representation. I mentioned a moment ago those memorials in the Old Testament that God on purpose instigated in the lives of the the Jewish people to help them to remember. Well, we have one over in the New Testament You know what it is? It's the Lord's Supper service. It's a memorial to remind us of what Christ has done for us. And even at the Last Supper, if you will, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, 24, that when he had given thanks, he broke it, that is the bread, and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Can you imagine that night? There they are in that quiet room, upper room, by candlelight, Calvary looms before the Lord Jesus Christ and he's giving them some final instruction along with this last supper. And in the midst of that all, we find that he gives thanks. As he breaks the bread, as he distributes the grape juice, he thanks his heavenly father. Now, if the creator of the universe could stop and be thankful, how much more could we? You know, a couple of years before that, we find there's this crowd of thousands and no food out there in the wilderness. A little boy has his five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, that'll do. And he takes that little meal. And in John 6, 11, it says he took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. You know, here's Jesus Christ. And he acknowledged that all things came from above, from the Father of lights down to us. You know, I was thinking this last week of some things that are wrong with evolution, (laughs) of all things, and there's plenty. But you know, amongst them, to teach that this is all an accident, or this is all a coincidence, and not to acknowledge that somebody provided all this, to ignore the creator and the sustainer and the giver of everything, is so wrong. It's just so wrong. You know that Jesus Christ is our representation of thankfulness. He's the model. He's the pattern. He's the example. We find that when Lazarus died, Jesus Christ didn't get there until four days later. When he got there, he prayed a little prayer before uh, Lazarus came out. It says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou 
hast heard me. And if you read through the four Gospels, you'll find this over and over and over again. He's thanking and he's thanking. And this wasn't some kind of a put-on. This was real. He was genuinely grateful. And if Jesus Christ was thankful, how much more should we be thankful? If you think for a moment of all that the Heavenly Father asked him to do, all that the Father put on him to leave the glories of heaven for starters. We don't even want to leave our bed in the morning. And here's Christ and his fathers asked him to leave the glories of heaven and be subjected to ridicule and lies and slander and, and beatings and finally death. And he did it thankfully. You know, Christ owes us nothing. We owe him everything. We owe him everything. And how can we show our gratitude to him? Well, by loving him first and foremost, and by serving him. And how do you serve him? Because he's not around, at least we don't see him here today, but, but we serve him by serving others, don't we? Making it all about others, noticing the needs of others. Do we do that? Maybe random acts of kindness to others, just little things. Maybe just a text, uh, maybe uh, an email, maybe a call, maybe a, a, a small gift of appreciation for something that they've done. But just... Loving on others. Now, does that come naturally for us? Normally, no. Because we have something the Bible calls a sin nature. And as a result, we are self-centered. And that's why we honk our horns at people in traffic and shake our fists and, and steal somebody's parking space. Or we don't send thank you notes. It doesn't come naturally, folks. We have to come to grips with that. We are discontented by nature. And by the way, that, that discontentment is fueled by covetousness. We want more than what we have. We want what others have. We compare ourselves to others. Somebody so well said that comparing is the biggest reason why we're often discontented. We, we compare our, our family to somebody else's family, our car to their car, our house to their house, or our job to, to their job. And, and the natural response when we compare ourselves to somebody else, and they have more, is to be discontented. So you know what the Bible says about that? In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It causes strife in the heart, folks, and a discontented spirit. It's not a wise thing to do. Now, what should we do? Well, we should just trust God with whatever we have. We should learn to live on the level that God supplies for us. We should understand that God's will for somebody else might not be the same for us. And they might have more and we don't have those things. But it's not a big deal. God's still on the throne here. It's his will that they have it and we don't. Really, however, the best way, and I think one of the best ways for, for uh, curing envy is by practicing thankfulness. That stroke file. Being grateful. Pointing out things to God all day long you're thankful for. Being thankful for the possessions you have. Being thankful for the spouse that you have. May I stop here and say, ma'am, if you didn't have your husband, who'd unclog that toilet or that drain? Um, who would you get to squish those ugly bugs on the floor? Who would you get to lift that air conditioner into that window? Who would you get to carry in that bottled water and a host of other things? And sir... If you didn't have a wife, who would teach you to be sensitive? And uh, who would give you compliments like you're handsome when everybody knows better? Who would, uh, who would be sympathetic 
to you if you did not have a wife? Who would give your house that woman's touch and make it a home if you didn't have the wife that you have? Sure, be thankful when you come home and your wife says it's hot dogs. At least she's not somewhere else. And, and ma'am, be thankful when your husband is sitting on the couch with the remote like a couch potato. At least he's not down at the bar. You can always find a silver lining. And uh, folks, be thankful for that teenager that's home whining about doing the dishes. At least they're at home and not someplace that they shouldn't be. And by the way, when you go to complain about taxes, just be thankful that at least you're employed and you have a job that enables you to pay taxes. Oh, and that messy house? Well, thank God that you're surrounded by kids while you have them. They're the best years of your life and you have some loved ones around you. Those clothes that are starting to fit a bit Snug mean you have plenty to eat. And thank God for that. That lawn that needs mowing means you have some time to spend out in the sunshine. Those windows that need cleaning or those gutters that need fixing mean you at least have a home. And when you go for that parking spot and somebody swipes it and you have to park way out yonder in the parking lot, at least be thankful you have legs that can take you into the mall. By the way, that government we so often complain about It means we have freedom of speech in this country, something many other countries don't have. Oh, and that heating bill, that's kind of ugly this time of the year. Just remember, it means you have a warm house. And that guy or that gal who sits next to you around you in church and sings off key, you know who I'm talking about? It means you can hear at least, amen? And that weariness that you feel at the end of the day, means you're capable of work. And finally, let me just say that alarm that goes off early in the morning, you hear it and you get up, it means you're still alive and you have another day of living. Thank God for it. Our text said, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body and be ye thankful. God help us to cultivate some gratitude and to remember to be thankful. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.